the story. Uh, we've been talking about how we are part of God's story. That's the, been the point of this whole message series is that from the very beginning of time, God has been telling us you are part of God's story. And uh, he has asked us to partner with him. So we are trying to get involved in his story. And, we, and when we join his story, we become part of his story. Get it? Come on. Come on, that's a dad pun. Come on, somebody's got to get it. <laughs> My son gets it. He's like, yes, we get those, Dad. Uh, so, uh, man, it is, uh, it, so we've been walking through these, and uh, we've been going through the book of Matthew. Uh, the book of Matthew has this theme of the kingdom of heaven. And the whole point is that the kingdom of heaven is not something that's coming that's far away. Someday it'll show up, but the kingdom of heaven is, is something that we are part of bringing forth. That is our responsibility as a church. We are his hands, his feet. And so when Jesus came and died for our sins and he, he was changing history, literally he was bringing the new creation and overtaking the old creation, and then he handed it over to the church. So we've been walking through that. We've been through Matthew chapter, uh, all the way up to chapter 16 last week. So let's jump in. Matthew chapter 16 is where we're going to begin today. Matthew chapter 16, verse 1. Here's <laughs> uh, Matthew chapter 16, verse 1 at the top of your notes. It says, about that time, the disciples came to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So if you, if you want to underline that, that's, that's where we're beginning. Uh, today's topic is, uh, is who, uh, the, that who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And here's some of you, we, we, I love our church because we call, come from all kinds of different backgrounds, all kinds of different uh, ideas and mindsets as far as uh, <laughs> yeah, this is going to be like really hard for me to concentrate. I'm sorry. I, I am like ADD, like, oh, squirrel. That's okay. Uh, uh, <laughs> so uh, we, we have all kinds of different, different backgrounds. We have those that come from a, a Catholic background, Baptist background, Pentecostal background. You should be giving me some more hmm, amens. Uh, uh, so those, uh, those uh, Methodists, you can give me a Methodist nod. Uh, you can, any, anything would do. I, I, I appreciate that. So uh, we, we all come from different backgrounds. And one thing that kind of runs through all of them is that there's certain people who have the answers and you shouldn't ask any questions. And, and that's not the way God laid it out. He, in fact, he encourages us to ask questions. In fact, we can even ask bad questions because this is an example of not a great question. Uh, who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? The reason why they're asking that is why? Because they want... They want to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. So to understand, though, what, why they're asking that question, we've got to back up a little bit. So when you study scripture, the most important thing, so if you come to our church uh, for any amount of time, if you've been here a couple weeks, you know that the most important thing when you study scripture is what? Oh, man, good. That's good. So what, the, one of the things that we'll talk about today and we'll dive right into is the, uh, the scriptural context. So what's before and what's after the scripture that you're reading. It's important that you know what it is. And so scriptural context. Uh, the second most important thing is what? Yeah, that's good. And for the, the rest of you that are a bunch of geniuses in the house, and if it's even if it's your first time here, you've figured out the, the, the pattern here. And the third most important thing is what? Okay, I'll be honest with you. The 9 o'clock service blew you guys out of the water. Like, when I asked the third one, they all went, context. So, okay, ready? Uh, I won't ask you again, but if I'm asking any more questions, you guys got to jump in, all right? I need, I need, I'm much shorter when you guys respond to me. I don't have to do this whole, like, hey, I need your help. It's just, we just flow, all right? 
Yeah? No? Okay. Uh, so context, context, context. Now, so to understand where we're at, I need to give you some background of where we've been. So last week, we were in Matthew chapter 16, and there, uh, the, Jesus had taken his, uh, uh, his disciples to Caesarea Philippi. And he said, hey, we're going to go to Caesarea Philippi, and he walked with them. If you want that message, you need to get on our app or go, uh, go uh, on our Facebook. You can pick up last week's message um, and, and, and get it nailed down, too. So, uh, so that, was, that was where we, uh, where we were last week. So context, context, uh, scripture context. So let's go to Acts chapter 17. One of the things last week uh, that happened, uh, Peter uh, was told that Jesus was going to have to be crucified. Jesus says, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to be crucified, uh, I'm going to, be, to die, and Peter goes, nope, can't happen, no way it's going to happen, and Jesus looks at Peter and says, Satan, get behind me. I mean, some of us have done some things in our lives that were like, that was like bad, but none of us have gone like, Jesus is calling us Satan, but in this situation, Peter is called Satan. In Acts chapter 17, though, uh, he, here's what happens in Acts chapter 17. I wish, the, I wish the, this was up here, but in Acts chapter 17, verse 1, it says six days later. So time frame, six days after Caesarea Philippi took place, and that Jesus is talking to him. Six days later, it says, Jesus took Peter and the two brothers, James and John, and led them up to a high mountain to be alone. As the men watched, Jesus' appearance was transformed so that his face shone like the sun and his clothes became as white as light. Suddenly, Moses and Elijah appeared and began talking with Jesus. Now, if you're from a Christian background, if you've read the Bible, this is what the Bible calls, the, uh, some of us call the Mount of Transfiguration. Jesus literally transforms and Peter, James, and John witnessed this. Now, here's what I want to point out to you, is that Peter, just six days earlier, Jesus called him Satan. Now Jesus takes him up to the top of a mountain and says, hey, you get to experience one of the most miraculous things that's ever taken place. The confirmation that Jesus is the Messiah, and he watches that take place in front of him. And for some of you, you need to hear this, that Jesus is telling you this morning, you, it doesn't matter if you thought you did things that, like someone else said you're like Satan. It doesn't matter what your background is. It doesn't matter what your mess-ups are, what your failures are. Jesus wants to tell you today, I'm going to take you up to a mountaintop. You can experience what I have for you. The grace of Jesus is insurmountable. That's, that's really good preaching. I got, I got one. I got, I got a, a couple Methodists. Mm-hmm. Okay. So... <laughs> We, 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 have, we have to understand that, what, what happened? Huh? Oh, my goodness. If there's one more thing that can go wrong this morning, at some point my voice will give out officially and we'll be just done. Just go home. Just. <laughs> where, where, where is it at? Where, I'm, I'm, it's on the projector? Dear Lord. It's, uh, all right. Where, what am I talking about? Jesus. I'm talking about Jesus. <laughs> Jesus loves you. He, I, he doesn't love the centipede. No, I don't, I don't love the centipede. Anyways, uh, <laughs> so Jesus says, hey, I want you to experience this. So they, Peter, James, and John experience the Mount of Transfiguration. They come down off the mountain, and Jesus says to them, hey, don't tell anybody. Don't tell anybody what you saw. Don't tell anybody what you experienced. But <laughs> let's be honest. If you saw and experienced something like that, how would you keep it out? Of, like, Peter has a brother in the group of disciples named Andrew. And I... You, Hey, Andrew, listen. Jesus, amen. I don't know what they did, but 
<laughs> well, it's sort of a miracle. Uh, anyways, I, all right, you guys are going to have to stick with me. If you're a guest this morning, I'm really sorry. Uh, this is not, well, it doesn't usually get much better than this. It's usually pretty. <laughs> not, this usually works fine. It's this that's the problem. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so uh, just six days later, yeah, so they come off, Peter probably went, hey, brother to brother, don't let anybody else know, just keep it between us, and, but whatever it was, they knew something happened up there, something experienced was up, uh, some kind of amazing ex- happened, and then in Ma- uh, Matthew chapter 17, verse 24, <laughs> look at the, you guys are so awesome, uh, and it says their arrival, uh, on their arrival to Capernaum, the collectors of the temple tax came to Peter and asked him, doesn't your teacher pay the temple tax? Now, okay, so Peter is come, uh, has, has come up to, the temple tax was, sent, uh, was collected in every synagogue and would be sent back to, uh, to Jerusalem to take care of the upkeep of the temple. So they're saying, hey, doesn't your master, doesn't, uh, doesn't uh, uh, your teacher pay the temple tax? In other words, it's time to pay up. Uh, and so he, here's some background you need to get. So here's some context. You need to understand, number one, uh, the temple tax. So now you, now you got that. Number two is, wh- where is Capernaum? Are we able, look at these guys. These guys are geniuses back there. Okay, so a uh, little out of scale, a little wonker, but that's all right. Wonker's been the morning. Um, so here's Caesarea Philippi. Uh, that's where we have uh, been experiencing uh, all things that, everything that happened last week. They, they have the mount, they go to Mount Transfiguration. Most people believe it was Mount Hermon that he was, uh, he was, that they went to. And so he went up to Mount Hermon, had that moment, and they come down. And as I said last week, now they're making this journey to Caesarea Philippi, or from Caesarea Philippi to Capernaum. Now, big picture, and so you see where it's at, at the very top of uh, the Sea of Galilee, big picture is Jesus has told them we're going back to Jerusalem. So if you can, uh, there you go. So you go, so Caesarea Philippi to Capernaum, and now they're in Capernaum, but they're eventually going here. And that's where we're going to end up at the end of this series is in Jerusalem, but we're getting there. So he says, hey, you guys are heading there. He says, we're in Capernaum. Here's the temple tax. Now he says something, something unique that, that's, uh, takes, that takes place in Capernaum is here. Let me show you a picture of Capernaum. This is a picture, uh, aerial picture. This is modern-day Capernaum here. There's people that actually live there. Here's the, uh, where they've been excavating, and they've found some things there that are pretty neat. Number one, zoom in a little bit. Here's the synagogue. Now, uh, Pastor Corey and myself had the opportunity to be there a couple years ago. It's pretty amazing. Right here, this is Peter's house. There's a, there was a, they found a Byzantine t- uh, time period. Uh, church was built on site. On top of Peter, what they believed was Peter's house. Now, we know that Peter was actually born in Bethsaida, just, about a little, just not too far away, but it's another uh, village, smaller village, but they, uh, they believe that Peter moved to Capernaum. Here's what we know for sure. Capernaum became Jesus's offices. It's what Jesus operated out. So he was born in Nazareth. He spent some time in Egypt. Uh, yeah, in Egypt, and then he comes back and he spends the majority of his time around the Sea of Galilee, and where he his home office is here in Capernaum. And so uh, you can imagine this happening, taking place. We know, go to the next picture, that Jesus taught in this synagogue. I sat in that right here. I sat right on this wall right here, and uh, we know Jesus was in this synagogue. 
We know that he taught in the synagogue and that he had these moments where he did some miracles in Capernaum. One of the miracles he did in Capernaum was where uh, there's four men who wanted to bring their friend to Jesus, but he was lame. They couldn't get to him inside the house, so they took him on top of the roof. They tore the roof off and uh, lowered the man into the, uh, into the, uh, in front of Jesus, and Jesus healed him. Cool story. Another story that takes place in, uh, in uh, Capernaum is when uh, a Roman centurion comes to Jesus and says, hey, I need you to heal my daughter. And Jesus goes, okay, I'll come along. And the centurion says, no, 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 I understand what, what it means to have authority. If you just speak it, it'll happen. And Jesus con- says that because of your faith, your daughter will be healed. Sure enough, she's healed. So we have all this has, has happened in Capernaum. Now, so I want you to get this picture. They are not newcomers to Capernaum. They have, uh, we know that uh, James and John are from Capernaum. This is their hometown. This is where they were born. This is where they were raised. They know what's going on here. We know Peter has worked here. He's probably been a fisherman out of Capernaum. Uh, We know that Andrew worked with him. So all this is happening in Capernaum, and this is where they are. So, and then there's this interesting little story that takes place after uh, the teachers say, hey, are you paying the temple tax? And so Peter's like, yeah, 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 I think so. So he goes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, uh, are we supposed to pay the temple tax? And Jesus goes, hey, does the, does the king pay the taxes or do the people pay the taxes? And like the the people pay the taxes. And so Jesus is like, well, then I guess I don't need to pay the taxes, but we don't want to make anybody upset. So let's pay the taxes. Go down to the, uh, to the Sea of Galilee, throw a line in, and you're going to catch a fish. And when you catch that fish, open its mouth. Inside the fish's mouth is going to be enough to pay your temple tax and my temple tax. Oh, that's pretty cool, huh? All the fishermen are like, yep, I'm going fishing. going to pay my taxes, baby. Uh, you got, you, hey, I just gave all the fishermen in the house an excuse to go fishing. You can tell your wife, hey, I'm just going to get, try to earn some tax money. That's all. Uh, so, so he goes in, he goes to, the, uh, Peter goes there, sure enough, he pulls in the, the, uh, the, the fish, the fish has enough to pay his taxes, the temple tax for him and Jesus. Now, you might just pass that by thinking, oh, that's pretty cool. But the, what it does is it gives us a clue to the age of the disciples. See, you had to be over the age of 20 to pay your temple tax. So Jesus only pays for the temple tax for him and Peter, and no one else. Why? Because everyone else was under the age of 20. See, that's a, like you got a picture of disciples, don't you? Like everybody has this idea of what disciples look like. They've got, they're old, they got gray beards, and uh, they're real wise, and they look real scholarly, and they're full of wisdom, kind of like myself. Um, and why would you chuckle? <laughs> so the, the, so we, we have this image of them, but in reality, the age of the disciples were not and they're over 20. Peter was the oldest in the group. The majority of them would have actually been, Kylan, come here. Kylan, how old are you? Kylan's 11 years old. Kylan would have been the age of Andrew and John, the two youngest in the group. So does this change the picture of what Jesus was doing when he had his disciples and he took them to Caesarea Philippi? See, the the youngest would have been 11 and 12 years old, and Jesus would have said, this is what I want you to be. Oh, I'm getting ahead of myself. See, thanks, buddy. Give him a hand. Come on, give him a hand. Woo! (laughs) See, we we have this, this, can you see how important context is? (laughs) He is done. He's like, I've spent enough time. 
in the, in the adult church. I'm going back to that kid. <laughs> so, but it changes, changes your picture. Because this is so important that you understand this. Because it gives us light into what happens next. So Jesus says, is it up there? Do you have that one? Okay. He says, about that time, Jesus came to, to Jesus and asked, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So now we get a little bit of insight why they're asking this question. Because they're a bunch of immature teenagers. They're asking, hey, I want, to be, I want to be that guy. That competition is in them. And they, they're seeing what's going on. And Andrew and is, is uh, going, hey, Peter got to go up to the top. Why didn't I get to go? Well, hey, uh, see, you got, it seems like you got some favorites. And they're like trying to, uh, to, to elbow their way into the closest. And they come, finally they have this conversation saying, Jesus, who is the greatest? In fact, they're in one of the other translate, uh, um, gospels, one of the other biographies of Jesus, it says that uh, James and John's mom came to Jesus and said, hey, Jesus, it looks like you're like going to become a pretty, pretty big deal around here. So would it be okay if James and John sit on either side of you? <laughs> you know there's got to be teenagers or millennials to ask their mom to come help them. I'm sorry, I'm, I'm sorry, millennials. That's funny. Uh, one of my favorite, I saw, uh, I had it sent to me a picture of the best Halloween costume was this guy dressed in, uh, in bubble wrap and <laughs> said, I'm offended on his hat and then said millennial across the chest. That's funny. Uh, <laughs> I love you, millennials. I'm, I'm like one year older than a millennial, so I'm just messing with you. So, so but it, you can kind of see this picture of their age, uh, that they are... There's these young kids. So then watch what happens. Jesus doesn't respond and just give him an answer. He says, Jesus called a little child to him and put him in the child among them. And then he said, I tell you the truth, unless you turn, your sins, turn from your sins and become like, a little, like little children, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. So anyone who becomes as humble as this little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf is welcoming me. But if you cause one of these little, little ones who trust in me to fall into sin, it would be better for you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and be drowned in the depths of the sea. What little child did he bring in? Most likely... The context gives us that this was a discussion between disciples. Most likely, Jesus brought John into the, 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 uh, the, into the middle of the, of, the, of the circle and says, until, one of, until you guys start acting like John, you, you don't understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. If you want to understand what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ, if you want to know what it's like to be the greatest in the kingdom, you need to be like this. And so he says, that, he says that, hey, you guys need to be, this is who you need to be. And if you ca cause harm to one of them, you're going to get thrown. It's better for you to be, have a millstone thrown around your neck and tossed into the sea. And then he continues on. He says, what sorrow awaits the world because it tempts people to sin? Temptations are inevitable, but what sorrow awaits the person who does the tempting? So if your hand or foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better to enter your eternal life with only one hand or one foot to be, uh, than to be thrown into eternal fire with both your hands and feet. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better to enter eternal life with only one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fire of hell. Beware that you don't look down on any of these little ones, for I tell you that in heaven there are their angels are always in the presence of my heavenly Father. 
So when, when, when we talk about this, we see we got a different picture. I hope you have a, a better image of who he's talking about. He's talking about his most dedicated little, little guy that's been hanging out with him for the last three years. That left his father and his mother. He, he's been traveling around. And this is who he's talking about. He says, this is what I, who I need you to be. So when we ask a question like these, one of the things I've been teaching you through this whole series is that whenever you come across the story in, in the Word of God, you need to ask three questions. And the first question is what is being confronted here? And what is being confronted here is humility versus pride. Unless you become humble like one of these. See, the, you're, well, what's, what, what are you talking about? Pride. What's, what's the pride? The pride, Jesus hits on hard. Because if your hand or your foot or your eye causes you to be distracted from what God's doing in your life, cut it off. See, what, what is that? What is he talking about? He says, when you depend upon your own hand or your own foot or your own eye to get you to where God needs you to go, that's your pride. You're dependent on you rather than on God. So your pride is who you are. So when you think, hey, I've got this figured out. I can, if I just work harder, if I just go further, if I just read more, if I just see things, then I've got this figured out. Pride is what he's confronting here. He's saying, I, I've got to address the pride in your life. You have to become humble like one of these. Luke 14, 11, For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. This, this understanding is all throughout Scripture. Proverbs chapter 2, that's over and over. Uh, and, and Peter, he talks up in James, hey, you've got to be willing to humble yourself. Hum, humility versus pride is what's being confronted. So anytime you're being confronted by something, you're also being invited into something. So what are we being invited into? Here we can see that we are invited to make an impact with humility. Make an impact with humility. See, this, is, this, goes, this is a, 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 a direct uh, affront to who we, how we think in our society. We think that if we have uh, somebody that is of celebrity status... Uh, they, have, they have all the influence. They have the, all the power. That's what I'm wearing these nice shoes that y'all, thank you. Yeah. They're, they're J.J. Watt shoes. Okay? I, I officially can now run faster, jump higher, and preach better because of these shoes. Uh-huh. So, we, we, because J.J. Watt has these shoes, right? So we think we've got to have a celebrity status. And so in our mind, we think if I can just get to a certain status... If I can just rise up to be sitting at the front of the table, wait, Jesus says, no, no, no. Don't sit at the front of the table. He tells them, hey, he's, he's watching them. Getting, it actually happens in Capernaum. He's, he's invited to a feast, and he goes in, he sits down, and he's watching everybody. He's watching all the, 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 the Pharisees and the scribes. They're all fighting to get to the front of the table. And he begins to tell a story. He says, hey, if you, if you fight over the table, front, the, 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 the chosen seat, what's going to happen is, Somebody's going to come in that's at a higher level than you, and the, the host is going to come, and he's going to remove you from that seat. And the only seat that's going to be left is the one at the end of the table. He's going to put somebody else there. So it's better to come in and sit at the back of the room and be invited to the front. Because when you humble yourselves, you will be exalted. But pride comes before the fall. See, there's not a very big difference between humility and humility. And, and uh, humiliation. It's not a big difference between being humbled yourself <laughs> or being humbled. 
See, humility is me choosing to be humble. Humiliation is an, is a, an event that we don't want to happen in our lives. So that we're being invited into this moment to make an impact with humility. So how do we make an impact? Through humility. Let me share it with you. Flip your notes over to the back side because the first thing that you have to have, if you're going to be a humble heart and you're going to choose to be humble, the first thing you have to be willing to do is ask questions. See, you, you can find somebody, a person who asks good questions is one who is humble. They're asking questions. They're saying, hey, I don't know the, all the answers. I don't have all the answers. And Jesus gives this example by saying, hey, look at the children. They're the ones that know how to be humble. How many of you are parents and know what it's like to have a child ask questions upon questions upon questions upon questions upon questions? Why do they ask so many questions? Because they don't know the answers. We stop asking questions when we think we have all the answers. He says, if you want to be humble, you need to be willing to ask questions. You need to be willing to say, in fact, in 2 Chronicles chapter um, no, sorry, James chapter 1, verse 5. He says, if you need wisdom, ask for it. If you need wisdom, ask for it. And ask our generous God, and he will give it to you. He will not rebuke you for asking. There it is. Just, just be willing to ask for it. And if you're asking questions, you need to be willing to listen. James 1, 1 says uh, that you need to be slow to speak. And so if you're asking questions, the second thing you need to be, uh, to have a, be humble is to listen and obey. See, it's one thing to listen. It's another thing to change because you listened. I had a, <laughs> Kylan's not in here anymore, so I can, I can throw him under the bus now. So we had a little discussion a couple weeks ago. And uh, we, we, he brought in a math. And uh, so he brought in a math problem. And he had, he had a math sheet, and he had one side. I got all the right, I, I, I had the, the answers that he had. I didn't get them the way he got them, because I don't know how they do math now. But I had the right answers. Our answers matched up. And the, but on the other side, it was a different thing, and he had all different answers than I had. But all it was was a de, his decimal was in two different, like he had moved it one way, and I had moved it the other way. And so I'm like, Kylan, I, I think this is, this is wrong. And we went back and forth and back and forth. And he's like, no, that's the way the teachers taught me. That's so I'm like, okay. So I put a little note at the bottom of the, of the paper. And I gave my answers in blue ink and said, hey, Kyle and I went back and forth. And we're not really sure who's right. Is he right? Question mark. Or am I right? Question mark. Smiley face. Like, please be right. <laughs> and he would not change his answers. And he, so finally, the next day comes back. And he, he comes home after school. And he hands me the paper. And at the top of the paper is a little post-it note that says, thank you so much for being concerned about your child's work. You were correct. <laughs> I framed that post-it, okay? It is in my office. It'll be there until I was right. Your teacher said I was right, okay? <laughs> so, but it, it, it's one thing to listen. He heard everything I said, but he didn't change. And in the rare ch chance, I was right on that math problem. But the thing is, we, we, get, we understand this, and we understand how we're supposed to listen and obey, but we, 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 don't, we have to grab hold of this. Uh, J Luke chapter 11, verse 28 says, Jesus replied, but even more blessed are all who hear the word of God and put it into practice. James 1, but don't just listen to God's word. You must do what it says. Otherwise, you're only fooling yourselves. 
Ask the questions. Listen and obey. A third thing that you need to understand about being humble is that you got to keep on growing. you got to keep growing. Hey, this, is, this is one of those things that's really hard for us to understand is that, you see, we, we look back and we go, man, look how, look how far I've gone. Look what I've done. And, look at, and we spend so much time looking back and saying, hey, look how far I've come. I've gotten to where I'm at. And then we need to look forward and go, but I still got a whole lot to go. See, we have to understand, we got to keep growing. We got to keep moving forward. This is why uh, the proverb chapter 3, verse 11 says, my child, don't reject the Lord's discipline. See, that's what happens is we, we get to a point where we think, well, man, I, I finally figured it out. And then, then he calls on us and he, he's telling us, hey, you got to make some adjustments. And he brings some people in our lives and going, hey, are you sure that's where you need to be? And don't you, need, don't you think that needs to be something you put aside? Or don't you think that's something you need to pick up? And we're like, well, I'm doing, doing so good where I'm at. Don't reject the Lord's discipline. And don't be upset when he corrects you. For the Lord corrects those he loves just as a father corrects a child in whom he delights. See, I, I've got four kids. And I, I, don't, I, 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 I love them and I want them to enjoy life. But on, on Monday morning, I'm not really concerned whether they're enjoying life or not. My responsibility is to get them out of that bed and get them to school, whether they feel like it or not. My responsibility is not for them to be happy, but for them to grow. See, we, we, this is why connect groups are so powerful, is that we invite people into our lives that we trust. And we say, hey, I need people around me who are going to be willing to say, hey, it's time for you to get up from there and move on from it. It's time for you to keep on growing. It's time for you to keep moving forward. James 1, 2 says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. Yay. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. And when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. See, we, we love cheerleaders in life, don't we? Yay, shishkin bob, go get them. Yeah? Defense. Give me a D. You got it. We love that, don't we? <laughs> okay, you don't love mine, but we like cheerleaders in life. But there's a reason when you go to a football game, why there's, a, there's the players on the field, there's cheerleaders here, but there's a coach in between. See, we need some people in our lives that, yes, we need people cheering us on, saying, you got this, you got this. But we also need people that are willing to grab our face masks and go, come on, you can do better. <laughs> Proverbs 12, 1, I, I didn't use this, but look this up in your New Living Translation. Wise people love discipline, and the stupid hate correction. I love the one the Bible uses, stupid. Uh, <laughs> so, so we need to be willing to ask the questions. We need to listen and obey. We need to be willing to keep growing, to have the correction, to have the discipline. And the fourth one is the most important. If we're going to be humble, we need to be hero makers. We need to be hero makers. See, the pride say, I need to be hero. I need to be the hero. I need to be the one that fixes the problem. I need to be the one that, that stands up. But that Jesus says, hey, I need you to be hero makers. Jesus hit, hits this. 
He goes right from telling them, hey, you guys, listen, you don't want to be one that makes them stumble and fall. And then he tells a story. He tells a story, and he goes into Matthew chapter 18, verse 11. He says, if a man has a hundred sheep and one wanders away, what will he do? Won't he leave the 99 others on the hills and go search for, one that, for the one that is lost? And when he finds it, I tell you the truth, he will rejoice over it more than over the 99 that didn't wander away. In the same way, it is not my heavenly Father's will that even one of these little ones should perish. In one, the other gospel, uh, in Luke, he uses this exact same parable to talk about those that are not a part of the kingdom of heaven. But in this context, Matthew uses this parable to directly connect those who are in the kingdom of heaven. He says, hey, those little ones that need to come, so you, you need to come alongside them and bring them up. And he uses John, most likely, as the example. Just like John, guys, I need you. You older ones, Peter, I need you to take John under your wing. I need you to keep him going forward. I need you to keep him moving forward. Because someday I've got something in him that is beyond your wildest explanation. Yeah, in him, John, the revelator, he's going to be the one that writes the book of Revelation. He's going to be the one who starts churches and does amazing things. I need you guys to go alongside of him and lift him up and encourage him. I need you to make him a hero. Do you want to know what the most valuable position in this church title is? It's not pastor. It's children's leader. The most valuable and most influential position in this church is not standing here. It's in that room. Playing with those kids. Let them know, hey, your snotty nose, your annoying laugh, your constant questions, I love you. And I want to see you raised up and doing something amazing. You know one of the most powerful things you can do is be a father, be a mother, be an aunt, be an uncle, be a grandparent, be somebody who comes along somebody that is disconnected. One of the greatest ministries we have is the jail campus. Guys that think, hey man, so disconnected, so detached, messed up to the point that I'm here. But yeah, we have some men and women who will go in there and say, you know what? Last week, Jesus called you Satan. This week, he wants you to take you to the Mount of Transfiguration. One of the most powerful things we can do in, in a couple weeks on uh, November 24th, we're going to be doing our big give. And our big give is an offering that we give everything away. So anything that comes in on that Sunday, we're going to give it all away. And the reason why I'm telling you now is because I want you to pray about it. I'm not going to do some ploy. We're not going to, on that Sunday, in fact, all we're going to say is we're taking our big give offering right now. And everything that comes in that Sunday is going to go out the door. And one of the uh, groups that we're um, going to be ministering to is the uh, Tusk Against um, traf Sex Trafficking. We're partnering with them. And the reason why we're partnering with them is because they're going into places, into uh, situations where they're going up to somebody and they're lifting them up and saying, hey, you feel like you're broken, you feel like you're hurt, you feel like everything's against you, we're going to make you a hero. They don't need their names in the lights. They don't need any shine. They, they, they're just going to raise up. This church has to be a church of hero makers. Where we're saying, you know what? We're coming alongside who, people who are broken. We're coming alongside those that are disappointed and struggling. We're coming alongside them. Lord Jesus, 
Lord, I pray over this church right now. Lord, I rejoice in those who are serving on the dream team. They're serving on Sundays. They're serving throughout the week. Lord, I, I rejoice in those who, who are serving in, in their positions, Lord, in their workplace, Lord, and they're coming alongside people and they're raising them up. Lord, I, I rejoice in those that are doing that already, Lord. I pray for that you would continue to let us see this opportunity, for us to see new opportunities, to, to view people the way that you see them. Lord, I thank you that we are a church, and Lord, that we're going to be looking outward and we're going to be focused on that. I give you all the glory in Jesus' name.